Hey everyone, it's Matt Harmon from the Yahoo Fantasy Football Show. Are you sad there's no fantasy football going on right now? Yeah, me too. I've got good news for you though. It is fantasy baseball season right now. Join a public league, join an instant draft, or create a league with your buddies before opening day. It's Yahoo Fantasy Baseball time. Sign up for the 2024 fantasy baseball season at yahoo.com slash fantasy baseball or on the Yahoo Fantasy app. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world that actually likes ball in the cold. I'm Jake Mintz, that's Jordan Schusterman, and nothing gets me more jazzed up than a man in a balaclava and baseball pants. Yeah, you know, I was uh, in Cincinnati for opening day, and I was not anticipating that being one of like the most beautiful weathers opening day we were going to have. I know we had some rain in San Diego. We had some weird stuff to start the start the season, but I, I do feel like you know now we got some some opening series in in Detroit and Minnesota. Like I would like to see some cold April baseball. I do agree with you. And you get a lot of complaining, I think, from media members and from some players. Like, why don't we just start the season on the road and in domed stadiums? Mm-hmm. Well, deal with it because the elements are a part of this silly sport. And to hit in the, if you can hit in the cold, you can hit in the warm. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. What should you expect on this episode of Baseball Barbacast, my friends? Honestly, not a whole lot. This is a pretty mid show. I'm not going to beat around that bush for you. But what won't be mid mm. is our event tomorrow, Ooh. Saturday, outside of Camden Yards, Section 771. Which, a- by the way, looks beautiful they they are opening up uh, opening day today uh, we have evidence i know some people are tweeting us like hey uh wow what there's like a bunch of uh boards on the top of the place that you said you're having your event it's like no they're open they're rolling i believe they're opening day you know orioles home opener is happening today on friday but we will be there on saturday 5 p.m section 771 formerly sliders near pickles i can't wait it's gonna be fun there's gonna be some audience giveaways some fan participation an interview with Orioles broadcaster Kevin Brown, a friend of the show. We have friends coming up from D.C. for it. I'm incredibly excited. They renovated the whole thing just for us and didn't even use taxpayer money. Remember, second thing, there's merch. Go buy it. You know where to find it. Appreciate all the people sending us photos. Jordan, let's just hop right in to the baseball happenings. Yes. Last night on Thursday night, probably one of the most entertaining games of the year so far, the Atlanta Braves against the San Diego Padres, two teams who there are, there are certainly people in this world who believe that those are the two best teams in the national league. They squared off in Atlanta for the home opener for the Braves and Atlanta squeaked out with a seven to six walk-off win courtesy of an Orlando Arcea single in the bottom of the ninth. Spencer Strider was good except for one mistake to Matt Carpenter, who dispatched a three-run home run over the fence in right. But it was a great back-and-forth ball game between two spectacular teams. Yes, and it seems like uh, the the Arcia, not just the walk-off, um, but you know he had a home run earlier in the game off of Snell as well. 
And the Braves already have a lot going good for them. And, you know, if we zoom out and just think about what their season has looked like so far, you know, we know they're six and one, but a lot of that is because Matt Olson looks even better. He looks incredible. And Acuna is actually starting to look like himself again, not just, you know, at the plate, but just athletically. Um, and I think that's a really exciting thing. Austin Riley, obviously tremendous. Um, I have given literally zero thought to Sean Murphy yet. I think I he's one of those ones where he fits in so perfectly that it's just like, okay, of course he's on the Braves. Duh. He stands out a little bit because he's so big yeah. as a catcher. And That's they've true. had Darno and Contreras back yes, there, Contreras who are both is, pretty short. Yeah, they're more stout. So yeah. there was a moment yesterday where uh he framed uh Murphy framed a strider fastball for strike three and then stood up to throw it to third. And I was like, Whoa boy, oh boy, is that Matt Weeders back there? <laughs> Um, but we want to focus on Orlando Arce because the biggest story for Atlanta, at least in spring training this year, was how are they going to replace Dansby Swanson? Who is going to fill those shoes? Why didn't they go out in a market flush with shortstops on the high end or even the low end? They didn't go out and get Jose Iglesias or Elvis Andres even to fill that spot. The consensus opinion was that they were going to roll with Vaughn Grisham, who came up halfway or towards the end of last season. They zagged giving the gig to Orlando Arcia, and people were like, WTF, what are they doing? Now, again, it is early days, but Arcia looks really, really good on both sides of the baseball. And I think it's just a good reminder, this guy was a huge prospect coming up, like a top 10 prospect, ranked above Trey Turner on lists. They were kind of in the same era, the same class. There were always questions about whether he could hit, but he was a above average defensive shortstop in Milwaukee for like four to five years mm -hmm. before he came over to Atlanta. And so the floor here is pretty high. Like this guy is a big leaguer. Is he going to hit 370, 414, 667 all year? I'll take the under on that. But could he be a 110 OPS plus shortstop? Certainly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that the, the decision, you know, to send Grissom down was like, okay, we, we get so, we just talked to, you know, on Wednesday about Volpe and, and Walker, and it's like, just call him up. Just let the kids let the kids play. And if you're Atlanta, first of all, your whole team is already kids, right? It's not <laughs> like they haven't done that. <laughs> they're they have two rookies in their rotation. They obviously have Michael Harris and Acuna is still like 25, and Austin Riley's still 25. Like it's still a very young team. So it's not like they are not willing to push their guys. And that makes me trust them more, not just because the Braves know what they're doing, but it's like if the Braves don't think someone's ready, then he's probably not ready. And if they have a guy like Arcia who had already been a good shortstop in the big leagues, regardless of what his offensive profile was, and we'll see, obviously he's not going to maintain the thousand OPS, but he, he was a, uh, even an above average, uh, you know, hitter last year, uh, believe it or not in over 200 plate appearances in the big leagues. I remember in 2021 when he was in triple a with the Braves, he was crushing the ball and he wasn't even playing shortstop that much. Cause they, you know, they had all these other spots and they weren't expecting him to play when they called him up because they still had Dansby. But yeah, I'm I I'm with you in these batting ninth. Like who cares? And if you really zoom out, it's like, okay, this is maybe an overreaction, but it's like, okay, if these Padres and Braves, hypothetically they're fighting for the number one seed, right? Or the best record in the in the in the NL at the end of the season. Well, Orlando Arcia helped you basically beat the Braves in one game. And that could be the difference. And like, that's yeah. already, you've already made it worth it. And who knows? It's early, but I agree with you. It, it just reminds you that you should trust teams like this. Yeah. You make a great point there about young players. It's not as if Atlanta has an aversion to calling up young players they believe are ready. So I will just trust that there's something they see in Von Grisham right now that makes them believe 
that Arcio was the better option, right? They're not afraid of the service time manipulation stuff. They're not afraid to put a guy up in the big leagues at a very young age. They just didn't think he was ready. And Arcia in the early going has proven that to be a good decision. From a team that we trust blindly to a team that we second guess almost daily, the New York Mets have some injuries. They have some boo-boos. Yeah. Yikes. So obviously we start with, uh, you know, the Diaz thing sets a pretty dark cloud over the whole season, but it was like, fine, whatever. Like he's very important. You can't replace Edwin Diaz. But you should still be able to to when your roster is this good, not having your closer should not sink the whole season. And then on opening day, down goes Justin Verlander. Of course, you lost Jose Quintana in spring training as well. And then in the last week, we saw Tommy Hunter, who inexplicably made the team in the first place and was looking good, but you know he goes down with with back spasms, which well, again. Do you know? Team. Do you know about Tommy Hunter's back spasms? This is a whole thing. Oh, well, please enlighten me. Tommy Hunter, one of my good <laughs> bros on the Mets, so he had like nerve issues in his spine, right, for a while. He, I think, someone wrote this story, but he was with the Mets one day on the road in Miami, and he woke up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, couldn't move to, to pee, and he took a step, and he just fell, and he couldn't get up, mm-hmm. and he was just lying there on the floor, and he had to call nine one one. And he didn't play for a year. Right. Right. And so he has been coming back from these back spasms very slowly. And he kind of just last year on the team was like a good vibe guy to have around. And then he came up in spring training this year and was amazing. And so when I saw Tommy Hunter back spasms, that kind of scared me. So I hope Tommy's well, okay. And this is the thing. Like I'm clearly like respect and appreciate his, his, you know, determination to come back and whatever. But it's like, Okay, but like that's part of the risk profile here. Right. Not to mention he's 37, right? Man, man cannot be a cog. Yeah, like and and that's so but but that was not the, the biggest one uh, from this week is that their catcher Omar Narvaez, who I believe like 3 days ago when he sat out with like a minor calf issue, said something along the lines of like we're going to take it easy. We can't have this something affecting our whole, you know, my whole season. So, you know, we're going to take a day so it doesn't affect the whole season. 2 days later, He's out for two months. <laughs> and so it's like, it's one of those things where, once again, we talked to Disha about this in our in our preview, but like the Mets injury history, not literally the injuries, but not, not just the actual injuries, but the way that they talk about it, whether it's the players, whether it's the trainers, whether it's the team, the communication around these injuries just always seems to be wrong. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's not that they have bad doctors. It's just that like, for whatever reason, like this is the kind of thing that is it just impossible to ignore that just keeps happening over and over for whatever reason. Maybe it's all coincidence after coincidence, but that just feels like a problem. It's just a reminder. They built an old team and there are positives to building an old team. The 2019 Nats who won the World Series were an old team and they used that experience and that elderly energy to win a ring. The 2023 Mets, the early returns are shaky just because, again, like, Marte is 34, McNeil is 31, Canna is 34, Pham is 35, Nimmo is 30, Narvaez is 31, Eduardo Escobar is 34. Okay, and that's just the offense. Right. Right. On the pitching side, Scherzer is 38, Carrasco is 36, David Robertson, who's now their closer, is 38. Yep. Right. Verlander is 95. Yep. Like, this is what we thought. Adovino, Rayleigh, like all of it. I know Narvaez isn't that old, but I, the point is, yes, they're an old team. But because some of the guys, some of the veterans like Escobar and especially it's like we we, we have these two top 30 prospects just hanging out in AAA. Like, please, please call them up. Beatty looked fantastic in spring. 
not just on offense. Like he looked like he made strides on defense. You know, people clamoring for Escobar now because of the Narvaez injury. It seems like we're going to get Alvarez first. Um, I and and the question will be: Are they actually going to roll with him, even if it's just regular DA traps? Are they going to let him catch uh, consistently, or are they just going to keep rolling with you know Tomas Nito, who's fine, but he's certainly not a, any sort of close to the kind of hitter that Alvarez could be immediately? So I don't. I know Beatty had a minor injury too. It seems like that's not serious. The Mets stuff so far is just troublesome, and, and even the guys that are healthy, as far as we know, in Scherzer and Carrasco look terrible. Right. Um. So that's that's. Uh, I'm not worried about Scherzer, but like Carrasco's one where who knows with him and and the velos down there, velos down, and it's like, you know, Sanga had a, had an interesting but but a really encouraging first start, but Sanga, McGill, and Peterson, you know, it's it's nice you had that depth to start the season, but. I mean, if one of them is bad or, or has any trouble, or even if Carrasco goes, like, it's getting thin real, real quick. <laughs> and that's, like, those are the kind of things that Steve Cohen cannot fix overnight. Well, and, um, and well, this is a great point. That is the reminder of the limits of Uncle Steve. Using money to acquire players through free agency is a good thing that all teams should do. Duh. Too many cheap teams in baseball. And I'm not criticizing Steve Cohen and the Mets for doing that. But when you are spending money on older players, who are the types of players you get in free agency, those older players have higher injury risk, oh, right? Yeah. And more turnover. Whereas a younger player who you develop, right, who comes up through a system who's 25, 26, 27, they're less susceptible to injury. The Mets have not done a good job of developing those players over the last four years. Now, a lot of that is not Steve Cohen's fault, right? right? That's probably a delay from the previous regime of the Brody Van Wagen in dark days. And they do have Beatty and Alvarez and Vientos. I understand that. But it's just a reminder that if you build your roster only through free agency, Mm -hmm. there is more of an injury risk there. And it is like there's only so much Steve Cohen's money can do. Mm -hmm. Billy Epler, who failed, whether that was by fault of Artie Moreno, the owner in Anaheim or not, Mm -hmm. Epler failed Mm -hmm. big time in LA, Mm -hmm. in Anaheim. He did not succeed. Mm -hmm. And he was brought in to be the GM of the Mets. And a lot of people were like, oh, he's just a figurehead. Steve Cohen's pulling the strings. Steve Cohen cannot run a waiver wire, right? (laughs) Steve Cohen is not doing roster construction. That has to fall on someone's shoulders. Mm -hmm. And is Billy Epler qualified? Frankly, we don't know. Yeah. We don't know if he is good at this. Yeah. And I think that maybe maybe he will be. And Buck Showalter obviously has a lot of experience of being good at this. But for me, the early takeaway is if it comes down to a GM and a front office having to pull various strings to maximize their roster, mm-hmm. I just don't know if Epler is the guy. I don't know if we know that he's the guy. Although, And it's like a good reminder. This is why they wanted David Stern so bad, sure. who is the GM – of the Brewers who stepped down and is taking a year off. Like, that's why they wanted a guy who they really knew could run a roster. Right. Well, it's also why Steve Cohen has publicly said, like, I don't want to spend $300 million every season. Like, I want to get to the point where I can spend more than everyone else, but not so much more than everyone else because I need to because I have no depth. He wants to be the Dodgers. Yeah. And so, that, but that's going to take a lot of time. Uh, at the same time, uh, Mets fans, the bigger issue is that you all, like, the players that you should know and trust and love, McNeil, Nimmo, Marte, like those guys just aren't doing shit yet. So until those guys start heating up, Pete's been good, um, or at least had some, you know, big home runs, but like the offense in general, which is mostly healthy, 
is not performing. And, and so that's, until, a lot of that is small sales. Exactly. Sales. That's, what, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm not worried about that part. Like, that's the part that should be fine. I am much more concerned about the pitching and how we're holding up um, over the course of the season. Because I, they're, they're, looking at it like, I just, why am I going to believe that Max Scherzer or Carrasco are not going to miss some time at some point? You know, like, and that's, that's when we're dipping into, I mean, I don't even know if you saw this. They signed Dylan Bundy. <laughs> like, they have Dylan Bundy hanging out. I don't know if he's reported yet. That was like at the very, very, very end of camp. Um, so they have Bundy and, you know, I guess they still have Lucchese. And so it's, you know, it, we'll see. We'll see. Dylan Bundy will make a start for the Mets this year. And that will be a thing that Mets fans will feel some kind of way about. All right, Jake. Uh, one other thing we wanted to do before we go to break is uh, you just mentioned small sample size. Fuck it. Who cares? Let's look at the <laughs> war leaderboard. And uh, you tell me, I have not looked at this yet, but I know Baseball Reference finally uh, started to publish their- Finally? Uh, well, finally, yeah, exactly. I was looking on, uh, you know, last uh, Sunday, and I was like, "Who, who's got point two WAR? I need to know." And it wasn't on there. But now this week, they have added it to their wonderful website. I know, of course, you know, if you prefer F WAR one week into the season, sorry, we're sticking with B WAR, Jake. You have the top ten WAR leaders so far. I have not looked at this. I guess I could try to guess um, who they are, but but I, again, like if defense is impacting this, I really yeah. have no idea. We can do, uh, F war as well in a second. That is also up, but, uh, let's start with the B war Jordan baseball reference wins above replacement. This is, uh, through, I believe seven games. This is through not even some team, I mean, some teams, not. five. Yeah. So, okay. From the bottom, from the bottom. So this is bottom of the 10, 10 to one, 10, 10. Okay. 10th. Jorge Mateo, Baltimore Orioles shortstop 0.6. Love it. Glaber Torres, New York Yankees utility man, 0.6. Will Smith, Dodgers catcher, 0.6. Matt Chapman, Toronto Blue Jays third baseman, 0.6. Ronald Acuna, Atlanta Braves outfielder, 0.6. Boston Red Sox outfielder, Adam Duvall, 0.7. I would have guessed he was number one. Uh, Milwaukee Brewers outfielder, Brian Anderson, 0.7. Told you. Luis Robert, Chicago Ooh. White Sox center fielder, 0.7. I assume his defense has been His defense has been unreal. That's true. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Toronto Blue Jays, chonk, 0.8. And at number one, Los Angeles Dodgers outfielder, James Outman, 0.8 wins above replacement. Wait, what? You thought I was going to say Trace Thompson, no, the guy no, who hit three home runs in a game. But for whatever reason... James Outman is leading baseball in position player war right now. Otani also has 0. 0.8, and there are some pitchers that have higher yeah, numbers. Otani's but. obviously higher than that, too, because he's pitched twice. But yes, and we're doing combined. It's still Otani. But yes. Um, amazing. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> I mean, he, I guess it's the, on the 522 on base percentage with what I assume has graded out as good defense in center. That seems to be the, the, the ticket. <laughs> just James Altman leading the league. Two triples, uh, sneaky big. And this point of the year, right? The difference between two triples and two doubles is two bases. And like that matters when you're there doing are definitely OPS. teams with zero triples. I mean, let alone, right? I mean, there's, there's, I would almost guarantee you that there are teams that have not hit a triple yet. I would say two. Uh, okay. So of that 10, who is most likely to be there at the end of the season? I would say Acuna, and I would say Matt Chapman. Matt Chapman's start has certainly caught my attention. He's someone that I have been perplexed by in that he had back-to-back seven more seasons in 18 and 19. And then the last two seasons, he's had back-to-back three and a half war seasons 
both in his first year in Toronto and then his last year in Oakland. Now he's entering free agency after this year as possibly the best position player that's not Otani. And yeah, I mean, that's that's big time, man. Like he's, he, obviously this is all stupid to assume that he's going to keep any of this up. But if he can up the offense at all, if he can cut the strikeouts at all, we know the defense is amazing. He's going to be a huge part of the Blue Jays this season. And I'm, I'm very excited for him. We mentioned Vlad, or sorry, we mentioned Acuna is healthy. And that has been a big reason for why he's been good. He's just running faster. Yeah. Uh, I want to just mention Vlad Jr., who early season launch angle is much better than it was last year. Vladdy, obviously incredible in 2021, you know, was in the MVP conversation, at least with Otani. Last year, his launch angle, average launch angle was halved. Okay. And so that's important. Obviously, he was hitting the ball just as hard. He was just doing it on the ground instead of in the air. So far this season, he seems to have gotten a little bit more loft back into his swing. For that reason, I believe he could be on this list by the end of the year if he continues to elevate the baseball. Mm -hmm. And then the other guy who stands out to me here is actually Glaber Torres. Yeah who has been stealing a lot of bases. I think he's leading the league with five steals. Did he pass Mateo? I know Mateo had had four um, or very quickly. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I mean, I think we are, you know, I, I wrote a little bit about this at Fox. Like, I don't, I'm so excited to see which teams are going to keep this up because Clearly the Orioles, um, clearly the Yankees. I mean, Cleveland's running like crazy. Like some of these teams are just saying, yeah, this is this is our new world. And if we have guys on first base enough, like let's do it. Now, because the sample size is so small right now for wins above replacement, I do just want to mention the players in the top 10 of Fangraph's war oh, who yes. are not in the top so there 10. There are some new ones. Okay, different. There's just a handful. Um, Brian Reynolds comes in at six by Makes Fangraph's sense. war. Makes sense. Uh, he has been <laughs> spectacular. Mm-hmm. He's, I think he's leading baseball with four home runs. Wander Franco has been uh, absolutely spectacular. We'll talk about him a little bit later. Kyle Tucker is the other one, which mm. is unfortunate. He is a snooze fest of a baseball <laughs> player, but he is so, so, so good. James Outman, uh, more triples than 26 teams. So let's Let me, see. We'll see how long that keeps up. I was going to ask you, Jordan. You know, you seem like a guy who knows a lot about baseball. I try do my you, best. Do you think James Outman finishes the year atop the war leaderboard? <laughs> I don't. You'll take. I'm going to. I mean, I, yeah, I don't. I don't. But him. I mean, yeah, the, the Outman Thompson. I mean, combination. I mean. Wow. Cody Bellinger's. I don't even remember. What, what was who? that guy? Corey. What was his name? Like Corey Bellinger. Yeah, so they're they're chilling. <laughs> they're chilling. Dodgers are going to be just fine. All right, so we'll obviously keep keep taking a close look at that world leaderboard every <laughs> twenty five minutes just to make sure no one else has popped on. I'm refreshing it like it's election <laughs> night on five thirty eight. Right, right. That's uh, God. I wish it was. I will someday we will have you know war every you know inning. Um, we should, but we will. Uh, we are going to take a quick break. We will return with our first good, bad, ugly of the season, uh, what we're excited for for the weekend, and then we will say goodbye. Hey, everybody. I'm James Hinchcliffe. And I'm Alexander Rossi, and we're the hosts of Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. As two friends who have a collective 18 years of experience driving an IndyCar and one season of experience on Dancing with the Stars, we know what it takes to be successful on and off the track or dance floor. That's why each week we will give you a peek behind the front curtain and tell you what life is really like for professional IndyCar drivers and second place finishers on dancing television shows. Download Off Track with Hinch and Rossi on Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
and welcome back to your eighth favorite baseball podcast. I'm Jake Mintz, that's Jordan Schusterman, and it is time to reintroduce a podcast icon. It is time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Jordan, for new listeners who maybe have never heard us do this segment, would you care to explain? Sure. First of all, I really didn't mention we're in the same place. So maybe you can tell. Maybe you can tell. Maybe you can hear Jake through my mic, whatever. Uh, the point is, is I'm so excited to have the segment back. You know, it was like, oh, we're going to run back everything from our, our previous podcast. In this case, absolutely. The good, the bad, the ugly. We'll do it once a week. The good, you know, good means, assuming you speak English, if you're listening to this podcast, I assume that's a word you're familiar with. Yeah. Uh, something good that we saw in the past week, something bad we saw in the past week. And then ugly, a uh, tribute to uh, our, one of our favorite baseball things and people and forearms uh dan ugla just something something ugla something ugla something strange something that that kind of sticks in your head and you're thinking about it more than you need to that was dan ugla we love him dearly and i hope he's doing well wherever he is i have to say i think this segment might work better on mondays maybe moving forward but right now i, I think this is fine i think okay. this is a, there's listen we're at three pods a week we're we're just constantly rolling. There's like the, the technically, you know, we abide by this regular schedule of, of the season and when series start. I think this is fine. Great. Let's get into it then. I will start with my good. Mm-hmm. And that is Miguel Cabrera's upcoming farewell tour. Mm-hmm. I had forgotten that he was leaving the sport of baseball mercilessly maybe a year or two too right, much late. more definitively than like joey vano we've compared the situations but miggy this God. is clearly it <laughs> and it it feels somewhat cruel when yesterday during opening day the tigers pa announcer said in his final season please in his final season get on out of here miguel cabrera and we had a farewell tour last year with albert pujols but he, Pujols was so good in a way that it overshadowed what should be a good farewell tour where the player actually isn't that good, where it's about saying goodbye. Totally. Like Pujols last year was about, holy shit, he's hitting home runs. <laughs> right. Whereas right. if Miggy is like a 100 OPS plus guy, which he hasn't been in years, <laughs> and we can just give him gifts as he jets across America as we say goodbye, I'm all in on that. Yeah. Yesterday for opening day, at Comerica Park, they did something really cool. They had famous, other famous Detroit sports people throughout the first pitch. So it was Nick Lindstrom from the Red Wings and Ben Wallace from the Pistons and Calvin Johnson from the Lions throughout the first pitch. And they called Miggy out from the dugout to throw it out with them, which is cool. You're on on Calvin Johnson's level. Yeah. Uh, No, I I like that. That's very cool. I know. And and also the other difference is, you know, uh, Tigers. It's like this is this is something that you will be excited to go see is to go celebrate Miggy, to go celebrate what he is, what he has meant. However, I have to point out just because it's one of my favorite contracts in baseball. If he finishes in the top 10 in the MVP voting this year, his $30 million option vests automatic. So if he does pick it up, you know, and they, if we want to, <laughs> I guess I don't think we'll have uh, AL MVP votes. But, you know, in terms of, you know, how we can get Miggy his $30 million, he's not going to turn that down. So wait, if he finishes in what? Top 10 MVP. So I think one first place vote can more or less uh, get you into the top your, 10. If it's your only vote, I'm not sure, but... But maybe, yeah, it could, it could be. So anyway, that's the storyline. We'll, we'll keep you abreast all year. <laughs> but <laughs> point is, is yes, it, it seems like that's uh, that's that's it for Miggy. I mean, he's certainly talking like like that way. And I mean, 
not only does he certainly not look uh, great, I love that he somehow already has two grounded into double plays. That's something he's certainly also been, you know, the active leader in now that Pools is gone. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's the best. So we're we're certainly hoping he enjoys his final season. Uh, for my good, you know, I wanted to talk about Tampa. Listen, you cannot. I don't know how we didn't notice this before the season began, but any team starting their season with with Tigers Nationals A's is just, I mean, that's like, it feels like, you know, if this was college baseball, you'd look at it and be like, this resume is a joke. I mean, this is what kind of like, why am I arguing for their, you know, postseason inclusion or a, a high, you know, national seed? They played the wor- possibly the three worst teams in the league. I see it as almost a transition era. Where, you know, some people after high school, they do a gap year before college or (laughs) after college, they do a gap year before graduate school to transition into the real world. Mm -hmm. The Rays are using like spring training plus to play these three crappy teams. They're just onboarding themselves slowly into the flow of the MLB season. So they're 6-0. They very well might be 9-0 when we talk on Monday after playing Oakland. Uh, But they have been awesome. Wander Franco, as you mentioned earlier, has been awesome. Yandy Diaz has been awesome. Randy, we're not surprised he's been awesome, but like Jose Siri and J and sorry, uh, Josh Lowe, Luke Rayleigh, like those are the guys. Because think about how underwhelming this Rays offense was, not just in that postseason game against Cleveland that took forever, but just like the second half. Like it's just not an offense you were excited to watch. The names are still not you know jumping off the screen, but it, this pitching is going to be so good. Uh, and Tyler Glass is not even back. That if the offense even has a couple, even if it's just Wander, you know, being an all-star, we have to take the race seriously. And he, even if this schedule is hilariously stupid. Here is where I have a bit of skepticism. The second group of players you mentioned, Josh Lowe and Rayleigh. Siri and Rayleigh. Yep. So those seem like the type of guys who would crush terrible pitching. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> and they have seen 100%. quite a bit of terrible pitching. Totally fair. Let's move to our bad. I'll go. What you got? Christian Yelich. Yeah. Christian Yelich won the MVP award. Do you remember that? Because I can't. He almost won it twice. Almost won it twice. He was better in the second year mm-hmm. than he was in the first year. And it is important to remember that Christian Yelich at his peak was not just good. He was historically good. 2018, 164 OPS plus. 2019, 179 OPS plus. For a player to... Finish a season within 1,100 ops in this era of baseball. I understand 2019 was Juice Ball Central. That's a good point. Uh, Jake, still, right, that's one of the best five hitters in the world. And he has fallen off just so steeply and so sharply and so definitively. He has not really even shown glimpses since. He has, uh, so far this season, gone 5-4-23. He still walks a lot, which is nice. Good for him. But he has struck out 11 times in 28 trips to the plate, which is less than you'd like. And he just doesn't seem capable of capturing, recapturing what he once was. And if he was on a team, this is what is most interesting about it to me. Yelich being off to such a bad start and being unable to make adjustments. The Brewers front office is smart. And their player development team, their player development group is smart. And they are not unaware that Christian Yelich has been horrible. Trust me, 
The Brewers know. They're not like, man, why is our offense underwhelming? They know it's Christian Yelich. And that they have been able, uh, that they have been unable to fix it to any degree is so bizarre and concerning to me and tells me that it's not on them. And, you know, I'm not trying to put blame on Yelich and maybe he does turn it around, but I just have such little faith in him figuring it out because the Brewers are an organization that we trust and because they've definitely been trying something over the last three years and yet he has consistently shown no ability to make adjustments. Um, And so that bums me out and that is bad. I agree. Uh, That said, um, you point to the Brewers. Like, I think... Is that the reason they've come up short in recent years is Yelich not being what he was? Arguably, maybe. But the thing with them is because they don't spend any money, he's like that's, 25% that's, so of that the was payroll. My first point is that it's not just that they have him and that he was really amazing and that now he's not. It's that they committed a gigantic extension to him right after that happened. Nine years, $215 million, which is awesome for Christian Yelich. But for, and listen, yes, every team can afford, sure, presumably more teams should be able to spend a lot of money on their players, especially the good ones that are that good. And like at the time, yeah, that makes sense. No like even for a mid, at least a mid-market team like Milwaukee, it's like, sure, great. But that is the kind of thing that you are seeing why they have made moves where it's like, oh, they're clearly trying to save some cash here. And that is that is not good, but that is the result of having a big chunk of your payroll go to a player who's at this point very average at best. And that is troubling. Uh, but the young guys, Terang, you know, Weimer, first homer, Mitchell, like they're going to be fine. Like this is what they clearly did not have last year. So that could end up being, they could end up being okay. And like that makes me less faithful, faithful is the wrong word. That makes me have less faith in Yelich because yeah. these young guys have come up and look so good. Like this <laughs> team clearly knows, I mean, right. maybe not with Kesson Hero, but they're decent at developing hitters, right. it looks like, and not Christian Yelich. Yeah. What's your bad, Jordan? Uh, my bad is really just, again, w- w- a tradition of any start to the season. It's just like, who is the worst team? And I don't know. I, so I, I know you, you know, as we, we know, as we covered on Wednesday, you, you did not watch a ton of baseball in a little, little chunk of this first week. But I watched, <laughs> I watched Nats Rockies yesterday. The which was I believe the eleventh one to nothing game. You're asking why did you do that? Well, I'm home uh, for Passover, and my little brother David is a huge Nationals fan, and so it was the only game on uh, yesterday afternoon. And so Passover is about ex- experiencing pain. <laughs> exactly, Passover is about kind of you know experiencing bondage <laughs> and sitting Strife. in my parents' basement <laughs> with my brother watching Rockies Nationals, the 11th one to nothing Rockies Nationals game. Now, in that sense, as if you were in Egypt, as if I was in Coors Field watching Kyle Freeland dominate. Yeah. Um, And those two, watching those two teams uh, here, (laughs) you mentioned you were reading a lot of the Baltimore Sun. So I uh, took some time to read the Washington Post sports section now that I've been home. And after they got uh, torched by the Rays uh, during the week, I saw the headline which I know the beat writers don't write, but our good friend Jesse Doherty, of course, one of our one of our favorites. The headline for the Nationals recap of Patrick Corbin's second start of the season was too much bad Corbin, not enough at the plate. I was like, that's that's, it. that's the season. That's I mean, <laughs> you forget just this game. I mean, you just gave the headline for last season, probably for this season. Um, and yeah, the the Nats offense, most notably uh, Big Joey Manessis, is. is off to a rough start. So, you know, mm. we'll see. Not that that's going to make a difference for their, you know, postseason odds. 
But I will say that uh, as far as a, a watchability goes, it's it's not going to be great for for the old Nationals. Yeah, they might be the worst team in the world, huh? Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. A lot, lot of time for other teams to kind of step up. The Kansas City offense has been even worse. They're in the mix. Uh, I would say they're absolutely in the mix, rocking the old five thirty seven OPS as a team. That's not going to get the job done. No, it's not. I would say uh, two seventy eight team slug again in the year twenty twenty three. Not going to get the job done. So we don't like that. Um, and then, you know, pitching wise, it's, it's it was shockingly even some teams that we think are not that bad that have, you know, the worst DRAs like the Phillies, like the Giants um, or sorry, like the White Sox. Uh, but yeah, so the, I'm, I'm just I'm keeping an eye on it because, you know, it's not like we're surprised which teams are bad. But even early on, you can tell like because right now world's worse than the Tigers. Right. That was a big question. It was like, oh, which one are we more optimistic about <laughs> right now? I guess I'm more optimistic about the Tigers like the Pirates like look like they're OK. Right. Even the Reds like have looked like they've had some moments like, OK, OK. But oh boy, some of these other teams, it's going to be ugly. Like if you're a Nats fan, it's already time to think about football season. Like if you're already uh, there. Well, not in Washington, but True. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was basically right. Who's selling the team faster? The learners of the Snyder, Dan Snyder. It seems like Dan Snyder's finally going. So that's exciting news for Washington sports fans. All right, let's move to Ugla. Uh, what is your Ugla this week? Uniform patches. Let's do All it. right. The ads mm-hmm. on the jerseys. Mm-hmm. There are people out there, many of whom maybe you'll see at your Seder if you're Jewish, or maybe they're friends of your parents who believe that advertisements on the uniforms are an affront to the entire integrity of the sport, that they are an embarrassment to the decades of rich American baseball history, that somehow slapping an ad on the crisp, clean, white home jersey is a blemish on what is a beautiful, pure game. And to those people, I say, come on. Relax. (laughs) Uh, We have had uh, capitalism in baseball since the beginning, and if a little advertisement patch on the shoulder is enough to make you turn, I off have the bad game, news about winter league baseball. <laughs> it's okay. Slash every other sport and league yeah. in the world. I, it, it does it, it in a perfect world. I would prefer no ads on the shoulder, sure. but I would also have a lot of other places I would start to fix society and to fix baseball. And so. Um, the jersey patches do not bother me, and I know they do not bother Jordan. However, they are funny to yeah, think it's about. Stuff to talk about on a podcast. They're, that's fine. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, that's what it is. I'm just not going to get mad about it. According to my uh, lazy research, we have seven teams right now with ad patches. Okay. Seven teams. Uh, I just want to spend a little time talking about what these companies are. No free ads, except apparently this segment. Well, this is why <laughs> I wanted to do this because. The shoulder patch mm-hmm. is funny to me because, okay, so the Padres have Motorola yeah, on their one, shoulder. That, that fires me up. Love that. Get, <laughs> everyone's, your, using, everyone's using razors. Go get your razor. <laughs> the Yankees should have Motorola because no team uses razors more. Boom. Ooh, wow. Love that. Love that. But is anyone looking at a Padres shoulder patch, like looking at Nabil Krismat's front <laughs> arm and you're like, I'm going to get a razor. Yeah, but this is, my next this is a thing. You apply that to any piece of advertising, but it's, yeah. it, it is an odd, an odd one. Um, so I do like that one. I think that the Motorola logo is yeah, it's both cool. iconic and cool and unobtrusive. Right. And again, like it's so, in a circle. So it looks like a yeah, patch. Yeah. And also I feel like so much of this applies to, you know, stadium naming rights, right? Where sometimes we're hearing stuff we've literally never heard of. 
And suddenly the stadium is named after it. Loan Depot, guaranteed <laughs> rate. Yeah, right. Good globe life, like all the insurance stuff. And I know those are all really generic, but Motorola, whatever. It's a it's a brand that we, who cares if we are still buying Motorola razors? Like it's, it's something we recognize. And I agree, the logo looking cool is also a big win. Which is related to the Diamondbacks ad, which is something I believe is called Avnet, which is just a tech company in Phoenix. Okay. But is it a cool logo? Again, I don't yeah. know what that is. Oh, it's okay. a cool logo. Like okay. you, I never heard of it before either. <laughs> okay. But it it is an A. Okay. Right, which is important because it fits in with the aesthetic of the Diamondbacks. Right. It has kind of a similar color in there. Oh, I see it. It's yeah. just the A. I know you're looking at it, the full lettering, I but it is it. just the Avnet A. Oh, I see it. Here and it go. looks yeah. like an Arizona A. Mm-hmm. It's not totally horrible. Yeah. I really don't hate that. Uh, other ones. The Reds have Kroger supermarkets, yeah. which absolutely slaps <laughs> and rules. And is so Cincinnati. I hope Cleveland get, does discount Drug Mart. I hope we I hope we can get those on there. If all the shoulder patches were the local discount grocery store, like St. Louis had Schnucks, right? And right. DC area had what? Like Safeway? Is that ours? <laughs> yeah, I think Safeway. Giant. Giant. Yeah, Giant is more regional. I the think. Yankees and Mets had Key Foods, <laughs> right? Yeah. So that's I, that's much more. It's again, it's like something you use. You it's go, you people they're going to Reds games or going to Kroger. And it's fitting because Castellini, the owner of the Reds, made his fortune at selling produce. Right. And to put Kroger on the patch is very fitting. Also right. fitting, the Mets, who just signed uh, a deal with Presbyterian mm-hmm. Hospital Systems in New York. And there is really no more beautiful marriage than the Mets and the hospital patch. It's so good. We we just talked about it. So very, very fitting. And And that is a new one. It's it's huge. It's enormous. It's it's massive. It's great. Again, are you going to stop watching Mets games? No. (laughs) It doesn't matter. Let me say this. If you are listening to the show and you are a Mets fan or you know a Mets fan who is watching fewer Mets games because of the Presbyterian Hospital ad on the shoulder, we want to have you on the show. Come on the show and explain why you are out on the mats. I would like to remind everyone that, and I know these patches are larger and like obtrusive. Like because the term obtrusive is just so funny because it's like, what is it? What is it? Intruding. What? Yeah. What is it bothering? Like you reading the word Mets? Like, like, uh, <laughs> like this is what I'm saying. Like, is it is it impacting the game? Is it is it true? Like, you could say, okay, if the patch is too big, it is more likely to impact performance. Where it's like, okay, maybe you're moving your arm mm. a little bit. Like that almost makes more sense to right. me. But I I can't get there. I would like to also remind people that when they put the fucking Nike logo on the jerseys, everyone was shitting their pants, and no one has thought about that since, since. the day after it was announced. But again, this is I know it's a little larger, but the 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 term obtrusive just is so funny yeah. in this context. I have issues with capitalism too. This is not the place to start. Three more. <laughs> Red Sox have Mass Mutual, oh, which yes. is an insurance company. Mm-hmm. Totally fine. We've got mass in there. Like that's good. It's a it's a phrase. It's something. It's like yes, right. That sounds like something that is in Boston. Great. No <laughs> notes. Uh, the Angels have something called FBM, which I had never heard of, which is a construction company. Okay. A uh, construction materials company that was started in Santa Ana, about a mile away. There you go. Uh, or they're based in Santa Ana, and they were started a mile away from the Angel Stadium. Weird because there is probably no more valuable. Maybe the Yankees. Jersey patch. Right. Like, now. I'm actually kind of surprised that a Japanese company didn't purchase this. You that's, know, you see a lot of Japanese ads behind home plate. That's a great point. At Angels games. Very interesting. 
Uh, but FBM, local company, they make building materials. Next time I'm doing contracting work <laughs> no, in Orange County, I'll call them, I guess. And then last, the one that absolutely sucks is the Astros one, which is Oxy, the yeah. O-X-Y, yeah. which is weird, first of all. Uh, it, Oxy is short for Occidental Petroleum, which is fitting, right? It is fitting that the Houston team has an oil company sponsoring them. I get that, right? However, it says Oxy. Yeah, that's, Which is that's not make you think about OxyClean. It <laughs> makes you think about Oxy. <laughs> right. Now, I will also say they already had an enormous Oxy sign beyond, like above the train tracks. Right. Like, it's not like they've never seen that before. Um, and again, I know like this one is even larger than the Mets one, it seems. Uh, but yeah, no, I agree. It just looks it just looks strange. Don't Again, do don't do drugs, kids. It's it, not an ad for oxycodone. Don't think it's gonna impact uh, you know season tickets. Uh, also, I guess well here's the here's the real question. These well not a real question. It's not like these are on the jerseys you're buying. Um, are they? I I don't think so. Like this is a this is the whole point of patches is that it's on your screen <laughs> when you turn on the game. It is on your screen all the time. So I don't think they're showing. And I could be, correct me if I'm wrong. I think that's the same thing with the NBA uh, logos that you have. On the they have it you know on the like a, right above the the collarbone so like yeah this is just what we have but I would also remind you been in every sport every other league way more ads than you'll ever see I just hope we get more local ones <clears throat> totally work because if the Orioles get like an old Bay logo that will be cool like people will like that yes. right yes so there's there are probably there is great opportunities for these. All right, my ugla is a little, a little different, a little, a little weird, a little. But I, I just wanted to, to talk about this because I wanted to get your opinion on it, and that was the tweet from Mr. Cade McClure. Oh, I saw this. Okay, so I this is something that I've I've kind of been thinking about anyway. Um, Fernando Tatis Jr. is playing baseball again. He's currently playing in AAA. He made his AAA debut. Should mention first time he's played in AAA, <laughs> playing with the El Paso Chihuahuas. And my understanding is that he's going to play there for a week or so, and then he's going to go return to San Diego. And then the the Padres, you know, April twentieth is the date that we believe he will be. He's at least eligible to return. the The other thing is funny is that they're referring to this as a rehab assignment, which is he's, strange. Yeah, he's, he's rehabbing his image. His image, which <laughs> is relevant to what I'm about to bring up. DNP image. Yeah, but no, he also did have multiple surgeries in the off season. Right, but. Still doesn't make sense because he he was playing in spring training like he's totally healthy like he's not he's still totally fine good. he looks good right and and part <laughs> of him looking good is that he has already you know hit a hit a home run and he hit a home run um, I believe off of a gentleman named Cade McClure now who is Cade McClure Cade McClure is someone who I believe he was a pretty good college pitcher at Louisville um, yes he was at Louisville it's with the White Sox and now he is on the Sacramento River Cats. And he allowed a home run to Fernando Tatis Jr. Okay, great. So that's a normal thing that happens to many people. But uh, there was a tweet uh, sent out by our, um, <laughs> a, a, actually, a, a friend, a Darnay Tripp, who we know from San Diego. Of course, everyone in San Diego, as we, as we are also excited, right? Excited for, for Fernando Tatis uh, Jr. To, to be coming back. Um, he sent out a tweet that was like, oh, this guy who gave up a home run to Fernando Tatis Jr. You know, will always be, be telling people about this. So Cade McClure, who of course gave up this home run, um, he quote tweeted uh, Darnay's tweet. And Darnay's tweet said, just, just, just to be clear, said, Cade McClure will be telling people for years about the time he gave up an absolute nuke to Fernando Tatis Jr. 
And Cade McClure. Well, can I just say yeah. quickly, Darnay, that is never the case. Okay. <laughs> Unless you are in like low A and you give it up to a future Hall of Famer. Yeah. Or in college or like, yeah. Anybody in triple A. Not, not, not thinking that way. <laughs> not saying that. Yes. The, these are, this is the, especially in triple A where every outing is getting you closer or farther away from returning to the big leagues. Every single pitch you throw in AAA has an enormous impact on your livelihood. Yes. More than really even in the big leagues. Like, And I'm sure that Cade McClure, part of the reason he's mad about this, is because his numbers in AAA will look worse because of this. Go Cade ahead. McClure quote tweets it, since deleted, and said, as basically like a correct said, cheater hits a home run on a rehab assignment during a steroid suspension. Which is... An accurate statement, right? I mean, that is the way that he is viewing this. He's the one that feels... Now, listen, as, as far as we know, hopefully, right? We hope that Tatis has his cheating behind him. But the reason I'm bringing this up is because we had so much conversation about Tatis and his return and how the fans would receive him and how his teammates would receive him. But the reality is, is that people, players, and we can tell you this because we talk to them all the time, players still take steroid suspensions, especially now, extremely seriously yep. and personally. And there is a reason for that. And that is something that we cannot overlook. Now, listen, when Tatis comes back, we're not going to, we're not going to, you know, be calling him a cheater left and right. Like we're excited to have him back. We hope that he has learned from his mistakes. We hope that he is clean now. We hope that he is healthy. We hope that he has learned, grown up, all those things, awesome. right? We are going to be cheering for him, but we just have to remember that <laughs> there are people who are still going to be viewing him this way in the game. Cade McClure is right. Mm -hmm. Cade McClure, no lies here. Yeah. Like Fernando Tatis Jr. Mm -hmm. cheated. He did it. We. I wish we could all forget it. Mm -hmm. I wish we could pretend it never happened. Mm -hmm. It would be better for me and you and the game of baseball if we could just wipe this away and pretend like it never happened. But it happened. He cheated. That is a fact. He did that. Yeah. And pitchers, players, opponents especially those in the minors who have to face him on a sham rehab well, assignment. Well, that's the thing. That's the only reason he's even facing him. That's the only reason Kay McClure has to face Fernando Tatis Jr. right now, right? Because he cheated. Because he, And because and that's why he's there. And so, you know, hopefully Kay McClure can, you know, reach the big leagues and he gets to face Tatis again. But like, that's... He, and that's why it's like you're putting him in a situation where that's why they're going to be extra mad about this. And, and we, you cannot... I know, listen, we are excited for Tati to come back too. I just hope that we can recognize that there are going to be other people that have these perspectives on it. I like the Cade McClure said this. Yeah. Good for Cade McClure. Mm -hmm. I am also excited to watch Fernando Tatis Jr. Yeah. Both of these things can be true. Yeah. But I, it, you're right. It is a great reminder that players have not forgotten. We had a player, Jordan, during the WBC DM us a story about Joey Meneses testing positive for steroids when he was in Japan. Right. Three years ago. Okay. <laughs> Players do not forget who cheated. Yeah. It is so important to them. And we can talk about why and we can talk about how a lot of that is financial as it should be. And that's understandable. Mm -hmm. But what Cade McClure is saying here, even though he deleted it and he got a lot of backlash, mm -hmm. this is what a lot of players feel yes. around the league about Tatis Don't, and about cheaters in general. That's the thing. Don't think that this is a just one guy being salty. Um, that's just not the case. So just keep that in mind. And again, remember, you say, oh, well, you guys talk about Barry Bonds. Like, yeah, it's a different time, right? And now you're hoping that the game is cleaned up. And so the people that are still doing stuff, that is why people take it extra personally. I don't care that Tatis, I mean, I do care that Tatis cheated, mm -hmm. but I, it doesn't really matter to me on a moral level right now that he cheated. There are people in baseball who've done worse things than Obviously. take steroids. Right. That being said, I understand yeah. why someone whose livelihood mm -hmm. is dependent on this 
is mad. Yes. And I think that we can view both of these things in the same light. So like if another player, someone else will give up a home run to Tatis this year or will lose a game to Tatis and will say something like yep. in the big leagues, this will happen. Yep. And when that happens, that person does not deserve backlash. Yep. But that's just, yeah, I just wanted to talk about that. I thought it was interesting. All right. Uh, that is our good and bad and our ugla. Jake, let's get this podcast over with before it reaches the hour mark because we've done so many long pods recently. I know our live event is tomorrow. We will be continuing to talk about the Major League season, of course. But other than the live event, what are you looking forward to this weekend? Three main things. Weekend time. Clear your schedule. Watch some ball. Okay. But also come out to our live event. But also come out to our live (laughs) event. Uh, Tonight, series continues. Diamondbacks, Dodgers. Oh, why should I be interested in that, Jake? Well, here's why. Two reasons, both related to Clayton Kershaw. Kershaw pitches tonight against Arizona. He will be facing Christian Walker. Christian Walker absolutely dominates Clayton Kershaw. The numbers are absurd. I think he has four or five career home runs against Kershaw. There, It's reached a point where you should watch every Christian Walker at bat against Kershaw. Also, it's Kershaw against Bumgarner. Something that we used to care about, that we used to tune into. And while Kershaw is still really, really good... Mad Bum might just be the worst pitcher in baseball. And so I am excited to see them face off for potentially the last time. This could be the last time they ever face off against one another because the chances of two pitchers going toe-to-toe are very rare. Right, And, and for all we know, Mad Bum could just be on his farm at this time <laughs> next year. So I'm excited about that. Mm-hmm. Phillies home opener tonight as well. The Phillies have had a very rough start to the year. Please remind me of the vibes, uh, how good they were. There have been a lot of injuries. A lot has changed uh, since the Phillies last played a home game. The last home game they won was when they pulverized Lance McCullers into dust in Game 3 of the World Series, and it felt like they were unstoppable and they would never no lose. They got no hit the next day. And then they got no hit. <laughs> Things have not been great since then. But the Phillies, the vibes, I'm sure, at the bank will be immaculate tonight on Friday. So I'm excited to be reminded of that. And then lastly... Astros twins this weekend, the two best teams in the American League facing off. Yeah, I said it. The two best teams in the American <laughs> League. I was like, it's not even a red. You weren't even making a reference to the record as the Astros are three and four. But that's a, a scorching hot take. I love it. And I think just again, this is a great opportunity, even though the Astros have had sort of a slow start. Great opportunity for Minnesota to to get people's attention. Nothing so, like a little litmus test early in yeah, the year. It's good. It should be should be a nice series. So yeah, there's there's a lot of good stuff. But again, most importantly. Tomorrow, 5 p.m., Section 771, Cross McCannon Yards. We will be there. Good friend Kevin Brown will be there as well. He will be joining us to tacos. we got some other fun stuff planned. Um, so make sure you come check it out. And then we will also be doing a meetup at the game, uh, at the Orioles-Yankees game, which will be, I believe, what is it, Nestor Cortez against Cole Irvin, two of the great left-handers of our time. So we will be watching uh, the game. And, uh, yeah, come come hang out. This is going to be a good time. And then we'll be back. Uh, we, so we will post that podcast as soon as possible. So if you can't make it, that will still be uploaded to this feed. Um, so you can thank Producer Chris for that. Thank you to Producer Chris for producing this episode. And then, yeah, we'll be back on Monday with our, I guess, our recap of the live show as well as all the other ball that we watched. Um, so until then, thank you all for listening. You can uh, find, again, the exact details about the event. We will be all over our Twitter. You can get merch at all of the relevant links, either in the description or at podswag.com slash baseball. And uh, otherwise, we will talk to you tomorrow in person. I will be wearing pants.
Sirius XM Podcasts.